Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, and I am the master chef, cooking you up something succulent and divine. It's your boys out here, and we are serving hot talk and cool iced tea. And I'm Mia Mix, here to set the tone and make sure the mood is right. So come on in and get comfortable. Pull up a chair, have a seat. You can even take your shoes off. Wait, not if your feet is down. <laughs> oh, hell no. Welcome, Welcome to Marsha's Plate. The time has come for you to be the change you want them to be, yeah. No more running around filled with all hypocrisy, yeah. It starts from the inside, it spreads wide, and everything will be alright. Conversation hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to hear what you guys have to say. You can also help us build community by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. By contributing to this podcast, you help us continue our powerful work to change culture one episode at a time. So let's get started. All right, so I have a special treat for y'all. Oh, my God, oh, my God. I've been wanting to get this person on the mic forever and ever and ever, but usually we see each other during BTAC, but we usually we running around busy and can't really get time, and then when we do have time, we want to go sleep and rest and do what we need to do. So I'm up here in Dallas for um, – um, the Malaysia Booker trial um, is is going on, and some cop done killed a black woman, and some Mexican done killed, uh, not killed, but shot and almost killed another trans woman. So we just kind of trying to do work around that. And so I'm up in Dallas, and I finally get a chance to interview the amazing Carter Brown. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. He was like, I'm, what did you say? You said in the message, he was like, I've been waiting for you to ask or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> I was wondering when you get around to asking me on the show. Of course. Of course I was going to try to get to you. Um, so tell me about um, how you grew up. Like, tell me about your household. Were you in a two-parent home? Were you? Do you have siblings? Tell me about your household growing up. Oh, wow. I grew up uh, in a single parent home. I was raised by my mother. Uh, She was a young mother, uh, started as a teenage mother. I'm the youngest of three siblings. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I'm the oldest, you know how that goes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We grew up um, in the projects in Oak Cliff. I was Mm -hmm. actually born in Texarkana, Texas, but we grew up in Oak Cliff, moved there when I was very small. and like probably most of uh, the community that I'm a part of, you know, we grew up um, very poor. 
Um, however, mom always made a way to get the necessities. Mm. Um, and there was definitely, we were never short on love. I, I definitely have to lift my mother up, who I actually lost in 2009. Mm, um, <clears throat> but she's definitely the root of a lot of, um, you know, not only just groomed me to be an adult and a survivor in that way, but she definitely was a woman who illuminated love and instilled love and confidence in me. And I attribute a lot of the man of who I am to her today. Mm. Yeah, we love black mamas on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we love black mamas. So what about your siblings? How did you get along with them? Oh, me and my siblings, we were tight growing up. Um, I have an older brother and my sister and I are only about a year apart. Okay. So of course, with having a single mother, there's a lot of time alone at home as yeah. kids so we were very creative and played a lot together uh, we were a very tightly knit family mm -hmm. unfortunately during the 80s uh, drugs did affect my home as well and uh, my home was broken apart um, and everybody just sort of had to go their own way and uh, I ended up um, pretty much homeless and alone a lot of my family just dispersed to several states and I was left here alone in Texas um, and so child, how old were you? I was 14 at that time. Okay. And so we can, I pretty much consider childhood ended about then. Um, it yeah. became very challenging, <laughs> you know, leading up to that. But, you know, once you're, uh, on your own and really don't have the luxury of being in a child's place and having no responsibilities or at least not adult responsibilities, yeah. It definitely changes um, what childhood looks like. I, I, I experienced that too. I remember my mama started dealing with her addiction in, I think, the first year. My brother was born in 90, so right after he was born, um, she was in love with a guy, and it led. he was on drugs, mm -hmm. and it led to her being on drugs. And so this was the first time for me that she um, – this was her first kind of like addiction. Well, you know, she smoked weed and shit, but when she when she got like deep into the addiction that she, in a way that she never experienced, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it got really bad. Staying at home, us being gone for weeks at a time, right. and um, I would have to go steal for my brother because I was the oldest. I would have to go, st and we're spread apart. It wasn't like we were like stair step kids. I'm like six years older than so the you middle. Had to play the adult. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then the next one was probably like I think um, four years after him. And so when she got addicted, the baby was like like six months. <laughs> so I would have to go steal Infamil. Wow. I would have to go just really. T it just it it really changed. Just so much because I had a really loving and right. hustler mom, mm -hmm. and so for her to just drastically change her amount of care was really, really drastic for me, and I didn't understand it, but I also wanted to protect my mom, so right. I never would go to school and tell them what was going on because mm -hmm. I didn't want us to get taken away from her because I love my mom. My mom was my God, right. so it was it was it just it was a really Un, not, I don't want to say unlearning because I still love my mom, but unlearning unlearning what I thought addiction was. Right. Because I always thought, you know, you you have a mother, motherly love is um, surpassing anything. Yeah, that's right. that was that was the 
that was well, in movies and everything. You're nothing like a mother's love. So I'm thinking, like, you know, how can you not beat this addiction when it comes to your kids? Right. How can you not um, love us more than crack or love? You get what I'm saying? It was just this. It just was this thing that I didn't understand. And I, through my teens, I had to understand that mm-hmm. this is a this is something they can't control. Once exactly. it get them get a hold of them, it took me some years to accept it. Mm-hmm. But in my teens, I was so angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at my mother. I just was like. Uh, but it was around 13, 13, 14, same mm-hmm. around at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how did you navigate that space when you, you know, now that you're coming into adulthood, um, had you transitioned yet? No. No. So coming coming through in, the, in how you were presenting at the time, wh- how were you navigating that space? So I can say that um, my mom at a very young age, even though, you know, we grew up, Southern, you know, Southern Baptist and all of those ideals were the influence. Mm -hmm. My mother was very liberal in her thinking and she was very, um, she was very thoughtful in making sure that she supported each of us as individuals and Mm -hmm. in our characteristics. Um, And so naturally, for me, I was always a very masculine child or what they called a tomboy. Right. Um, and my other aunts would say, you know, don't let her run around like that. You know, <laughs> she's not presenting like this. She needs to put on a dress. And my mm-hmm. mom would say. Be more feminine. Right. And my mom would say, I let her wear what she's comfortable in. Yeah. Um, you know, and I didn't want to wear ponytails. She'd make me a big. I said, I want an afro. And she'd get the blow dryer and make me a big fro. I run outside all happy. And my brother's hand-me-down tough skins. <laughs> So, yeah, she was always, um, you know, and that really instilled in me not to care what other people think, even though you do as you're yeah. you know, growing in your development. But it definitely gave me confidence to be who I was and to feel okay about being different or not, you know, conforming to what others think that I mm-hmm. should fit into. Um, so I attributed a lot of that to her. And so that did give me um, confidence to... Um, have a certain level of masculinity growing up mm-hmm. so I played sports always you know dressed in uh, what would be considered boy clothes and things like that um, however once I uh, became homeless it wasn't you know really I was just being myself and my identity wasn't really a priority as far as discovery or anything like mm-hmm. that especially when you're homeless and you're more so thinking about where can I sleep right. where am I going <laughs> to eat am I safe <laughs> Um, and things like that. Um, but I'll say it was probably about my high school years uh, that I really started to dive more into self-identification. Mm-hmm. And by college, I was sure of my level of masculinity that it was supersedes just being a tomboy. Per se. Right. Um, however, I wasn't sure about transness I knew nothing about being trans I just right. knew I wanted to enhance my masculinity um, and so that's pretty much the journey I was on in my uh, early 20s and I actually started hormone therapy when I was about 26 25 or 26 and um, that was really awesome that was a whole nother level of uh, social of a social experience in that <clears throat> Now I was actually uh, blending or quote unquote passing as male and that was a newfound freedom for me to just be seen as Carter 
and the mm. person that I always felt that I was versus, you know, the girl that looked like a boy. Right. Or, you know, that bull that looked like a boy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. I was just myself. Right. You know, and that was really uh, liberating for me. Um, but it, it, but by default, I didn't know another trans community at that time. So by default, I did live stealth or no disclosure, meaning that I just operated without telling anyone that I was trans. Um, I, you know, I started another job, moved to the suburbs, you know, and did what I could to navigate at least sort of kind of having a clean slate. Yeah, that's like that's old school way of if you think about how how doctors told us to do back in the day that right. was like the standard practice if you want to be a trans person because we're doctors we understand all that you're going through right. so this is what you got to do you got to cut off your family move cut your job and live a whole new life that right. was standard practice right and so i would say i lived that way for about 10 years until i got to a point where i didn't really feel as free anymore because the more i did develop friendships and other relationships, whether it was with colleagues or, um, you know, people I met along the way, I felt that I had to be limited. I had to have boundaries for, for everything so that nobody found out who I really was. Mm. You know, and so I found myself. Do you feel it starts off like nonchalantly? Like it, the mm -hmm. way you kind of describe it, it started off like it's not totally I'm intentionally trying to be stealth, but it kind of just goes into that. Right. But as you but as it progresses, it turns into like a really a acrobatic Right. <laughs> like a, like I'm really trying yeah. to. You feel like you're in situations where okay, I don't want to lie about my past, but I can't give you all the details. Right. I mean, it's something as simple as like, you know, what's what high school did you go to? Okay, I went to this school. Did you play sports? Yeah. What did you play? <laughs> well, I ran girls track and I played basketball. You know, that's just not gonna work. Right. <laughs> um, and so that for me, I just started to feel that I was. Um, you know, it wasn't a freedom anymore. It started to feel that I was back in the closet for some reason. Mm -hmm. And that was a real self-check for me. And at that point is when I identified with my transness to say that, you know, okay, I'm not a biological male. I am a different kind of man. And I'm okay with that. You know, how did you get to that point? Because you know, a lot of people it takes time to get to there. When you navigating transness, mm -hmm. um, some people never get there. Right. They like they. I'm not a trans person. I'm a. Right. I'm whatever gender that I'm transitioning to. Mm -hmm. I just have a defect, or you know, it's different mm -hmm. um, theories and philosophies about it. How did you get to that point where trans just was some was an identity that you were proud of, and like you know, it's okay for me to be that. Right, and I know that trans is different for everybody. Yeah, so I'm not discounting anybody else's uh, perception of themselves but for me um, I got to that point of accepting my transness when I just recognized I need more you know I need more attachment to community I need more guidance on this trans thing and this is my reality when of course I have lots of uh, friends and uh, you know other other guys around other males around they can even teach me a few things about that I need to know as a man, like, you know, say, man, how do you shave? Do you shave against the grain? You know, just small things. But then at the end of the day, I can't ask this man how much tea he takes and is he having some of these side effects that I think I'm having? Right. What am I going to look like in 10 years? Or, you know, things like this, or even just the whole experience of navigating in society previously as a black female. And now that I'm a black male and I'm, you know, the, the veils are pulled off of, 
you know, the ignorance that the world has to what it's actually mm-hmm. like to be a black male. Right. Because like I said, I was very in touch with my masculinity, but I had no idea what it meant to be a black man in America. Right. And so, you know, these experiences. Tell me about some of those nuances going from navigating the world as a masculine because a lot of people think it's not going navigating the world as a, a regular female because you are mm-hmm. a masculine female that, right. that's different than a feminine one right. it, you, your access is different everything is different mm-hmm. so now what's some of the nuance that you saw going from navigating the world as a masculine female to now in this privileged male mm-hmm. black male privileged and unprivileged in a, in a way um male space Navigating as a black female, you still can default to female. Mm. People will see, you know, obviously that's just, or for some people, that's a flag that just says she's gay. Right. But they still see a female. They still, you know, now they may talk to you a little differently. Right. Or a little uh, more. Homeboyish. Yeah, a little more <laughs> homeboyish. But at the end of the day, they still see a female uh, for the most part. But when you're navigating as a black man, there's so many layers that precede you of negativity that you, I just absolutely was not prepared for. I was not prepared to have um, the, the level of nonverbal communication between me and other sisters change if I'm just passing them on the street. The nonverbal communication between me and other brothers was now no longer. Brothers were a lot more friendly when I was just a, a masculine female. Mm. Now it's more of a, you know, a, a male, um, I don't want to say territorial, but you do have to. Those boundaries, that personal rank. space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, things no, like. No, 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 because I'm thinking about something else. That takes it to another level. So I'm thinking about personal boundary, but you just said access the rank. Explain access the that. ranks. Absolutely. Um, in a lot of spaces that I'm. Uh, used to operating in such as or specifically I'm referring to the workplace where I would my career uh, history is in corporate America which is a very competitive place Um, every guy wants to be the guy he wants to be the top producer he wants to be the one everyone likes Um, and so in any room that you walk into or that you're in there's going to be an assessment of ranks of who's the alpha male who's the alpha male who's you know and then when you get two alpha males in a room, you, okay. Yeah. Right, right. And for myself, I've always, you know, pretty much operated as an alpha male. Even as a masculine female, I would often be the one to have to call the shots in the room. Um, but it was a lot more, it was a, it was a lot more challenging now that, you know, these other men see me as their equal mm. per se versus just, oh, that's just a really dominant outspoken female. Right, because you st- just base just like you said, I'm still seeing you as a female. So regardless, mm-hmm. you you can't alpha me, right? <laughs> just because you're a female, right. no matter how how you navigate the world, I still can default to looking at belittling you because you're a female. Right. But now I don't see that at all. I don't get that at all. You navigate in a space like one of the niggas, so I gotta right. treat you and engage with you in the same way. Exactly, and I'll also say just even operating in uh, predominantly white spaces. Uh, as a as a uh, dominant female versus as a black male, it's okay to assert yourself as a black female. You're just seen as strong and you know take charge. Mm-hmm. But to have that same uh, th- to have that same delivery or that same tone as a black male can be seen as aggressive. 
So in a lot hmm, of I think I it's the I same think. though. I think it's the same as a black female. They come in like you too aggressive, you too sassy, you too. But they sort of expect that, and they feel that you know that's just a part of the personality. But for black men, any bit of you know assertion without the right tone mm-hmm. can be seen as aggression. Mm, okay. And you know whenever I feel that whenever someone feels that aggression is being uh, given towards them, then that sort of waters down the message because they're automatically sort of putting their defenses up or, yeah. you know, sort of tending to their safety at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, is this nigga about to go off? You know what <laughs> yes. I mean? So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, and that's just an example um, of just how the basic social uh, social experience changed for me even in my own community or in the workplace, um, you know, and nonetheless, just where I stand in rank in society. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from being at least, you know, seen as an educated um, black female Man. to, you know, when you're a black man, you have to prove anything that you say you're accredited with. Mm. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Oh. Now listen, I know that what is basic trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. basic for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. Trans 101, yeah. Trans. Come and get your Hi, my name is Diamond, and I don't have a vagina. But guess what? I know a lot of people who do. Z? Hi, my name is Z, and I am a trans man, and I have a vagina. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot. With all these people attacking trans women about always changing their packaging, it almost slipped my mind that you and other trans men have vaginas. You know who else have vaginas? I think I know, but you can tell them. Cisgender women and trans women who have undergone gender-affirming surgery. Any tools created for the care of a vagina are for people with vaginas. That covers a wide range of people. Back to you, Diamond. Thank you, Z. Have a nice day. Guess what? Companies are realizing that it's a little bit more marketable to be inclusive. This inclusion does not change your womanhood, your manhood, your maleness, your femaleness. It doesn't change your identity and it doesn't change your ability to use the products in the box. It's not strengthening imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. No, it's not strengthening that. Guess what else? If the work that we all are doing to push the culture forward is actually working, then we're going to see this more often over and over again. I just hope that you motherfuckers don't keep losing your fucking mind each time that it does. And that's Trans 101. I promise to record for you every single week. And if you have a coin or two, 
thank all of our new patrons this week thank you thank you thank you yay, 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 yay. so not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast you know i also donate to other podcasts i donate to other organizations i have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So with the nature of politically what is going on with black men in america how are you navigating that space with you know they're getting shot by police they're being incarcerated like crazy how are you navigating that space like every other black man the best right. I can. <laughs> and you know um with it, it's it's uh it's crazy that with all of the uh, murders going on of trans people, more specifically trans women, obviously safety is uh, you know, a big flag for the trans community right now and something that uh, many of us are concerned about. Um, and I hear a lot of brothers say that, you know, I'm concerned about my safety or I don't want, you know, I'm stealth because, or, you know, I, right. I, that's why I don't say nothing because, and et cetera. Um, but I live and die by, I will never deny who I am. Now, I know, you know, because I am blendable um, aesthetically that in many spaces I'm just sort of stealth by default or people don't know I'm trans until I announce it. Um, but I'll never deny who I am. And I'm not purposely, you know, trying to hide from anything. And my experience, I don't know what it's like to be a black trans woman. You know, and I sincerely, sincerely empathize with what that must feel like to live in fear. You know, I don't, I don't know what that's like to live in fear for being um, who I am. However, <clears throat> fear of my life, should I say. However, I do live in fear of who I'm perceived to be, which is a black man. Right. My greatest fear is of the cops. Because that is the most trouble that I've had as far as being roughed up, being accused, being thrown in jail and things like that has been since I've been walking as a black man. 
I think that's a good way to kind of um, a good analogy because I was about to say, well, I don't really in my mind. I was like, it's not necessarily like a really distinct fear for us, but it's it's when you in specific situations. So I would think like when you're being pulled over by mm-hmm. a cop. So like mm-hmm. if you walk in the street, you're not really worried about cops. You get what I'm saying? Because right. you're kind of just doing doing life shit. But when you're in spe- really specific situations and it's it's the same way with us where i can't tell you that i'm getting on the bus going to the mall going to a grocery store and i'm just like oh my god is somebody gonna kill me today it's not like that Mm -hmm. but it is certain situations if i get on the bus and somebody clocks me and somebody is in there and somebody some bum is on the bus and he's drunk and he clocks me and then he escalates to something is this going to turn into something crazy stuff like that am i um i remember am i i'm in the club and i'm not doing nothing but being in the club and then some guy who knows me from my past or mm-hmm. who I've dated before or who, um, you know, I met on an online dating site. I told my T to be honest mm-hmm. and now he's telling somebody in the club and I didn't know he told him and then now I got this guy kind of being funny about right. it. So is this going to turn into some, some type of violence? Those are the situations right. that where I'm like, oh shit, no matter what I do in this situation, it can turn ugly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in the conversation, they think that, oh, what did you do wrong? Did you deceive somebody? I'm really just navigating the world like myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not intentionally talking about, ooh, I'm coming to the club to trick men. It's not like that. It's mm-hmm. I'm coming to the club because I consider myself a straight woman, so I'm coming to this club and, you know, enjoying myself, like enjoying the, else, uh, like right. everybody else. And because of who I am, it can turn into something that, you know, just like with cis women, a situation can turn ugly with a cis woman but she doesn't know that going in right, right. <laughs> but she knows that that is a possibility so mm-hmm. she has to lie and say that i got a boyfriend she got to she got to do these things to try to mm-hmm. keep the situation down and so as a trans woman i think it's the same way like i don't know <clears throat> if i'm gonna say the right things to keep this from going to crazy violence because when we think about like malaysia booker thing I don't think it would have escalated that far if she was a cis woman who fender bended him. Right. You see what I'm saying? Because it was a trans woman, because exactly. of who she was, it escalated to where it was. Exactly. Escalated to even the all the whole niggas is jumping on you. It would not have done that if it was a cis right. woman. You might have argued maybe between them two, maybe, maybe a little violence or a little something. Somebody would have jumped in and said, what the dude? What you doing? That's a female or something. Right, you right. get what I'm saying? Something would have happened a little bit different but because she was a trans woman it escalated too far so i do feel like i navigate that space where it's not necessarily a constant fear but oh this is a situation and Mm -hmm. i I would i would compare that to where you if a cop is called if you're getting pulled over in certain situations y'all could be fearful yeah absolutely and and one of the things that i did to help me navigate that or ease the stress of that uh, for a long time, I didn't get my gender marker changed because when it came down to it, I didn't want to be thrown in a male's prison. Mm. And I felt like that's something I have to think about in my everyday life. If I'm going to work, you know, in the morning and he sees this young black man driving a Cadillac with the dreadlocks, right. I'm getting pulled over. You know, I've had my car searched illegally for no reason and then pounded for no reason. Right. Because, you know. Or they would tell me, you know, oh, you're a little know-it-all or you're a little smart, you know, things like that. And not that I hadn't been um, uh, unlawfully pulled over previously or prior to transition, but it was always 
again the default of oh you're a female right and so they're gonna treat you differently much differently once they look at that id and you know whatever my name was then then they treat me a lot differently right and i I experienced that too i experienced that when i was when i was living my life as a male i knew that when i talked to police if i'm in the car if i'm in the car i knew if i turned the fag up So that, feel threatened, that, right? it, it, so once he see oh you one of them kind of niggas yeah, he yeah. would cha- to- his attitude would totally change uh-huh. it would be something that I would cut on just like we cold switch with white folks it was something that I would do and they were totally different they would laugh they would oh lord one of them funny boys and da 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 and it would change the whole mm-hmm. tone mm-hmm. because they would come to the car like what the fuck like on some whole authoritative shit and it would change everything right. even to the point where oh let me just get these facts out of my out my face and not give them a ticket right, right. <laughs> even stuff like that so I, I definitely relate to knowing the difference and how you know you can co-switch and engage with um, cops and it make you safer right. that black men can't do mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah and even just you know again I was much younger when I transitioned so back then you know like most young guys I had the nice car You're right. 20 inch wheels yeah. and music <laughs> bumping you know and it was like I I felt like it was a police magnet. And then once I had my daughter, um, you know, I just didn't want to have my family in that type of situation where I'm, you know, going to jail overnight and all these kind of things for nothing. Yeah. And so I ended up taking my rims off my car and, you know, just really trying to uh, soften up my young black maleness, you know, which is, which is horrible. You know, I feel like my wife and I were having a conversation the other day, just as far as the dress code of young men, um, and we were in disagreement about, um, as far as hoodies and, you know, whatever the trends are. And I said, I feel strongly that young black men, I mean, I don't agree with the saga, but if that's the style that they're doing, if they're wearing hoodies, why shouldn't they be able to? I mean, we had some crazy fashions in our days and that's just the culture that was our culture then, but nobody's culture should be seen as a threat simply because of their skin. Because in the in in the point was I think we saw like um, maybe three or four young white men walking down the street and they all had on hoodies, and or they were going into a corner store or something as we were parked and looking, and so the conversation sparked in that. Now, did y'all were, think they were about to shoot something? Up? No, <laughs> I'm no. joking because you know how white niggas is. No, they had on trench coats. <laughs> let's get the hell out of here. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, see how you stereotype everybody clothes. <laughs> you never know what I see about you. What's going on? Y'all dangerous. <laughs> but the point was, I said if that was four young black men going in that store with those little hoodies on and their little pants sagging on their little skinny legs, then you know they would have asked them leave your bags at the door or one at a time because I've seen that before. Yeah. But with these little guys, it looks like oh they must be a little group or. Oh, maybe they're a little team. You know what I mean? And I and, and just the fact that it's not the clothes, it's the blackness. Right. You know, which can be so exhausting. You know, that's another thing that I really just a lot of times ponder on. Like I know a lot of people say, Oh, it would have been so much easier if I could have grown up this way. I'm absolutely thankful for every step of my journey from, you know, how I was raised and socialized as a kid into the man that I am today and everything in between. Because I cannot imagine the trauma and mental um, devastation that it would have had on me 
to grow up a young black male in just the the uh, the the social and institutionalized racism that is embedded, you know, subconsciously um, into a young black man is 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 heartbreaking, mm-hmm. honestly. And um, I agree. And and I and in, and in a lot of ways, I feel that as a trans man, the because of the way that I was socialized and, and having grown up um, as a as a young black female and all of those experiences from a young black female to a masculine female to you know a young trans man now an old trans man, <laughs> all those experiences have definitely made me a much more dimensional person. And I feel that as a trans person, we have that opportunity to have that experience that 98 percent of the world will never have right you know not only just going through the experiences of what feels like a social experiment and and really being able to see how uh the structure the social construction of gender affects people and things like that but just in in our own experiences you know i can imagine just for yourself for a moment i forgot that you lived as a young black male when you talk about the cops i was like oh i forgot yeah <laughs> yeah that's true right but you know and that's intriguing to me to know that your experiences as a young black male and now as a young you know black woman you know that just for a lot of people that just sounds two-dimensional oh they were you know this now they're that mm-hmm. but there's so much in, in the, between yeah absolutely absolutely tell me this so there's a you you talk about navigating that space it, there's a lot of tension in the community as far as um, trans men and trans women. Um, what are some of the roadblocks that you have seen um, firsthand when it comes to addressing that gap between us? What tension? Um, anything. Like, it seems to me, like, especially as I navigate activist space, Prior to navigating activist space, I didn't, I wasn't, and it wasn't intentional, I was not in community with trans men. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember one in my in my city, but they didn't, at the time, they were going through that kind of metamorphosis. Now, they would consider themselves a trans man. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the last time I saw um, this person, they, you know, they were growing a beard, and it was thick as fuck. I was like, that's not just no regular beard. That's some, you taking some on, sweetie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when, I, when I met the person, they were a masculine lesbian, and they used to throw me shade all the time because I used to hang around with a lot of lesbians when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, well, so when I was young, young, I hung around nothing but trans women. But when I got a little bit older, I, I just got in this clique of lesbians and we would just all hang out, party, drink, smoke, and do all this kind of stuff. And they would take me to parties with them that were lesbian parties. Mm-hmm. And so I would go in there and this particular person would always throw a party because they were a DJ at their house. And so when I would come in, they would kind of treat me kind of funny. Like, why y'all bring this it? Like, we're literally mm-hmm. saying shit like that to them. But once I saw her, I didn't see her for a long time. And then for maybe, I went to college. And when I came back to my city, that's when I saw her. She was a little bit heavier, a little bit muscular. And she she had a beard. And I, I was calling her. I didn't know any name that she went by. But I was like, her name was Shauna. And I was like, Shauna, what you got going on? Yeah. And she was like, she started smiling like cheesing. And I was like, 
you got something new you want me to call you or whatever, just call me Sean. I was like, all right, I, I see you. I see you. And um, and we just had that moment. Right. So ever since then, I, I, I that's the only one that I knew until years. I met Lewis years later in 2010. Mm-hmm. There was, It wasn't a community of us together mm-hmm. until I got into activist spaces. And because we kind of fighting for the same thing, of course, that's going right. to happen. So there was a gap there that I felt. And so um, that's what I mean. Is there? And then when I got into activist spaces, there was this, um, you know, like this turfy kind of, this turfy. There's some trans men that has this like turfy idea that you know y'all still navigate the world like men, and then there's trans women that's like yeah they still navigate the world like women, and you know all this kind of thing. So those kind of gaps is what I'm talking about. What have you seen firsthand, and what do you think we can do to bridge that? Uh, I would definitely, just from my perspective, I definitely think that it's more of a gap than attention. Mm-hmm. And I think it's key um, when you when you started your statement, you started with you just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the story for men of many of us. We just don't know each other's walk of life fully. Mm-hmm. We're all getting, even though we've been around forever, everybody's had one or two friends, maybe. Right. Um, I knew if that right. <laughs> And so, you know, now that we are becoming more visible and being able to find ourselves as community, find who our tribe is and so forth and so on, we're also learning each other. And, you know, as we're learning ourselves, we're learning each other. And then as you stated, as a community, we're getting um, more visibility, which um, seems to create a, um, we feel that, or it seems that the many people in the community feel that they have to, uh, prioritize what issues are important to them right um because that's something just that i see especially recently with this like trans renaissance going on with trans um trans visibility on a show like pose mm -hmm. which is really centered around trans the trans feminine experience women right and um this kind of with janet mox and the laverne's Mm -hmm. um we have a couple sprinkled in there when we when we talk about um yance ford who almost was was nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a couple of things um, in there that you see a couple of trans masculine people, but not so much as you see trans women on that kind of main stage. Right. And so there's like this tug and pull of um, wanting to take up space mm-hmm. and trans women kind of taking up too much space sometimes. And then trans men tr- trying their hardest to insert, hey, what about us? What about us? Mm-hmm. That's attention that I see as well. Because mm-hmm. we all are marginalized and mm-hmm. we're trying to get our stories out there. But there is a silencing of trans men mm-hmm. that's happening. So talk about that. That's something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, that was a, a, a large part of me founding Black Trans Men, Inc. was because as a black trans man, once I did tap into community, and was able to meet other trans men and hear the plight and the journeys that they were going through, the disparities and struggles that they were facing, as well as my own, and see what resources were out there. I saw that no one was actually looking to help specifically trans men. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was able to identify what these issues were because I'm directly connected with these guys, not only for my own needs, uh, for resources and community, but just hearing, you know, what these men were going through and that nobody felt that they had anywhere to turn, but here we are together in this group and now we, we've 
become what we call bro dependent because I need you to help me walk through this journey. I need you to be here at the end of the day after I have to go over my parents' house for the holidays and be misgendered and, or I need somebody to be there at the end of the day when I've gotten fired from my job or the guys at work, you know, are harassing me for being trans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I'm sorry. So uh, as far as how that, or in relation to trans women and what I feel the struggle for, um, uh, you know, to be seen is, is that, you know, in my opinion, a lot of times it is just easier for guys to blend um, aesthetically. Uh, One, chemically, testosterone is a... Is a stronger, the, the more dominant, right? Yeah, it's a stronger chemical mm-hmm. that affects your body much more um, effectively mm-hmm. compared to estrogen. Right. Estrogen takes a little bit longer; it does a little bit less, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it does. It does. Change. Y'all do have the ability, like us. Estrogen don't change our voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Testosterone changes your voice, and that's a big marker mm-hmm. of gender. And you know, it just it seems like there is a level where it's like easier for y'all to, um, you know, and and it's good and bad things. Like I feel like our bottom surgery is a little bit more advanced than mm-hmm. y'all's, mm-hmm. but all of these things I think are are like a product of like how the patriarchal world. Right. I think because of of course. The, because women are objectified, we're going to be the ones that sensationalize. Mm-hmm. And because we're coming from exactly. from the top of the totem pole and going, the quote-unquote top of the right. totem pole of and giving up privilege to come down, exactly. that's more of a shock than, of course, if you're born a woman, you want to go in, into the privilege. Exactly. So I think those kind of things. And then even the working on the surgery, I think because women are objectified, let me get this man-made pussy just right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anybody who mm-hmm. might enjoy it, let me get it just right. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to, you know, the neglect of how trans men go about and the difficulty, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's all of these things have a, has a, have a negative root in the bigger culture. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then one thing that you did just say, um, when we're talking about uh, people losing privilege or choosing to have less privilege by gender and stating that, you know, a female would want to have male privilege. So I feel that for trans men, even with our, in our community, a lot of the trans women just look at trans men as, you know, oh, that's cute. You look like a real man. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, that's cute. He act like a real man. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, as trans people, we understand our own experience, but again, we all grew up with the same thoughts and ideas embedded in our minds. Yeah. So I feel that, you know, even in our trans community, the whole homophobic thing transfers over, the whole misogynistic thing transfers over. Yeah. And it's not a matter of trans men being misogynistic. A lot of times, trans women are misogynistic. Yeah. Um, it's not just uh, And it know, just because we're that, trans, it, 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 it looks different than it does in right, sense. Right. It look because we know the hypocrisy of that. Right. We it look how it manifests is different, and I don't think trans women or trans men who are misogynistic um, translate it and understand that what mm-hmm. you're doing when you say that. Oh yeah. Um, 
um, yeah, he's just a hoe. He just being a hoe. So he just and because he likes to have sex, you're attributing that to his femaleness, his ex femaleness, right, right. that type of stuff. Right. Th- that's that's rooted in misogyny, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't think that. Right. And then literally, you doing the same thing that cis people do to us, but you're not thinking it's the same because oh, I'm trans. Of course, I'm not doing it that way. Exactly. <laughs> Which is not true. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but for myself, I mean, I, I started advocacy initially for black trans men. I always advocate for black trans men. That is my life. Yeah. Um, however, I do see the importance of advocating for all black trans people, which is why BTAC itself was created to uh, include extensions of the, of the community, specifically black trans women, um, our non-binary siblings, even our elders. Um, are all a part of the community and we all have unique needs yeah and as an advocate for my people for the community I consider the platform the audience wherever I'm called to advocate so if we're if I'm in a in a place where I'm talking about uh, policies and the safety of black trans people I'm definitely going to prioritize look we got sisters getting killed out here all of us need to be protected so if we can get policies changed and, and protections in place to protect the sisters, they're not just gonna write the bill, you know, this is a hate crime to protect everybody. everybody. <laughs> you know, if I'm talking about um, how I, as a black trans man, was fired from my job, and this is what it looks like for a trans man who has these struggles, then they're not gonna just change the law for trans men, they're doing it for all of us. Yeah. If we're talking about identity markers on you know, birth certificates, and I'm advocating for a non-binary person, that doesn't make me less of a trans man because I'm advocating for binary people. Right. I feel that all of our issues are one issue that we have to uphold. So I honestly don't understand the root of the tension between black trans men or just trans men and trans women and scratching for, you know, the quote unquote limelight or to be heard. There's a place for all of us. And the right. more voices that are heard, then the stronger we'll be. Right. And nobody can say or do anything wrong if they're advocating for themselves or somebody else or any injustice. Tell me about, so you just mentioned your advocacy work. So I want to talk about BTAC a little bit. And... Tell me about how that started. How did the seed start? Not just how you started to plan, but how, what made you say, okay, I think this is a need that I can, that I have the potential to feel. Mm-hmm. How did it even start? Uh, well, the need was identified just for my own needs. Right. Um, and then once I was actually able to find community, and as I stated previously, and just seeing that, community was all that we had um, I felt that we needed to get organized um, and actually create programming and actually create or identify resources that can be distributed and accessible to our community so that at least some of the the uh, issues or disparities that people were facing could be met mm-hmm. um, so I would I would definitely say the seed for it is um, you know again just wanting to find my tribe you know i know that a lot of people um, access uh, btac as as the coalition and also btac as the conference because of what it attributes to them as a person what it gives to them as a person not only is it just works you know the conference specifically isn't just workshops and entertainment it's an experience of um, 
of being able to connect. It's an experience of being affirmed, of being free, being actually being in a place where you can be yourself unlimited and be loved and not be judged. And that's a, that's what I needed. And that's what um, I created for community. So, you know, I see myself as a reflection of my community or hope that I can be a reflection to my community in that I share the same needs. I share the same, um, the love I give is the love that I want. Mm-hmm. You know, the attention I give is the attention I want. I'm advocating for you because I need you to advocate for me. You know, so I, I hope that, um, it, you know, it was a seed of, of reflection um, that was planted. And uh, not only of reflection, but also, um, I'll say, a seed of uh, purpose um, for my life. I honestly feel that, now I'll be honest and say that it's been rough. Mm-hmm. What know, are some of the obstacles? Oh, wow. I'm going to say it's been a lot of obstacles along the way, but I'll say the most impactful obstacle always is when your own community, you know, says negative things about you or, mm-hmm. um, you know, want doesn't want to see good things for you or, um, you know, feel that they have to compete on any level when ultimately we all have the same goal of wanting to um, be equal, be mm-hmm. treated fairly, be treated with respect, be seen, be accepted. And have the space. Exactly. For me, BTAC was, um, it just was something that I had never seen before. I've been engaging with BTAC since the, be, since the beginning, early, early stages of it. And so early stages that trans women were, were invited. And for me, it just was something, it was a vision that I had never seen anybody in the community explore. Mm-hmm. It was something that anytime I was in other spaces, I was like, God, this would be bomb if it just had a black, a, I, when I would be in spaces that were organized by white people, it would be... You know, it was lacking, like you see in the world when you mm-hmm. go in the workplace. Like, oh, this is, you you making these weird ass jokes, these um, microaggressions, and you don't understand that right. this is you don't know where this is rooted from. And so, I have that experiences in a in a white trans white centered trans space. And so, coming to BTAC, it was like, oh, this is black as fuck. Mm-hmm. And these are people who are p- proud to be black. They under their understand their experience. We come from the same history, not exactly the same, but we coming from a black experience on different levels, coming together in this space that is affirming my transness, affirming my blackness, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. affirming my womanhood, and affirming a community between me and my brothers first, and then we add the non-binary. That was like remarkable to me. Mm -hmm. So it's something that over, over the years, I just cared about more and more and more. And I just got something from it. It was something. It was something that I was like, when I would go home, I would be like, I, "There's no other space like it." Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I wanted to. For me, going into the space, I wanted to support it in any kind of way that I that I that I that I could possibly can, and I wanted to grow. So I never felt any kind of situation where I. I wanted to undermine it. Like mm-hmm. even, you know, I, I saw it as a growing entity. So even in its per- imperfections, I felt like, you know, I, there was some tenderness that I had around it. There was some empathy. There was some, 
You know, like like if you see a baby growing, like mm-hmm. if it's a toddler, maybe he them heavy. Remember the um, old heavy ass white shoes, baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and they kick you to be hard as hell, like that. Like you want to throw the motherfucker against the wall, but you like this still a baby. You still have to be tender, and so that's how I think about it. I was like, yeah, there's something, something, something's bad here, but the this is still something that is growing, mm-hmm. and you have the ability to. Um, be the auntie to it and be the person right. that can make it grow and and I just, it just has it's been eight years now yes and so it just has grown into something that has been beautiful for me and beautiful to, to build community and with black trans men and black trans women all around the country so I definitely saw your vision and mm-hmm. I thought that it was definitely uh, just something that needed to be on the earth <laughs> and I think the magic of BTAC is that it, it's the community. It's, yeah. you know, it's built from what the community says we want or well, what we say we want, but it's also what we need. When we come together, mm-hmm. we can release that and we can receive that, right. you know, all of those things. I think that's the magic of BTAC. Um, because as you said in other spaces, and, and another thing is that um, SB and I, who, you know, she's the mastermind um, behind a lot of the programming and just making sure the business of everything flows. So when we were originally planning the first conference, which was exclusively for uh, black trans men, she or I hadn't gone to other LGBTQ conferences before. Mm -hmm. So there was no blueprint for us. Right. Um, So that pretty much gave us a a free range or a A blank slate to, you know, say, well, hey, you know, I've been talking to the guys in the group. They say we should do something like this. This is what they want to see. Or, hey, I think it would be, you know, a really great idea. And then just having other black trans men start the organization with me, you know, just brothers that just like yourself believed in the vision and wanted to commit their time and wanted to lift their brothers up um, and wanted to see the organization grow, um, have really, really, you know, I owe a lot to a lot of people as Mm -hmm. far as just who really stuck to the vision or, you know, even if they only was there for a year or, you know, a few months, every contribution has been a brick to build a house of BTAC, mm-hmm. uh, which has grown to be such an amazing thing. So let's be specific. Let's name names. Who are some of the people who have been, like, your supporters in the beginning, and regardless of if they're not now or oh, if they yeah. fell off, who are some of the people that help you set that foundation and who is still in your life that's helping to grow up? Okay, awesome. Um, So it's been a whole lot of people. I can't name everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few people who were really, really strong individuals from the very beginning of starting the organization was a brother named Antoine, um, Tretch, who lives here locally. Um, he's a Ebony. He may be Tretch Ebony mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike Price, who's in Michigan. Uh, there was Makai Johnson, who was in Philly. Um, Van, he's still my main man. He's, mm-hmm. you know. I feel that he's pretty much kind of a co-founder as far as I mean, he's given so much to the organization and the in the brotherhood overall. Um, Charlie, who lives in Virginia, I'll be seeing him next week. He's also one of our, our standing board members that's been there since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of guys, you know, I, I mentored a lot of guys along the way. Um, Trey has been, you know, a, a real rock for the organization for the past at least four or five years as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of people, and of course, you know the guys that that we have now, Sebastian, 
um, Papa Thunderword, uh, Menifee. Oh man, it's it's been a lot of guys yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, so when we originally started BTMI, the, the enthusiasm was the enthusiasm was so great. We started twelve chapters mm. in one year. <laughs> So that wore me out, needless mm-hmm. to say. We kind of had to downsize. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> what, is the, what made y'all add trans women to the experience? Because you could have kept, mm-hmm. kept it trans men, but why, what made, what sparked that change? Well, you know, as I said, the more I grow as an advocate and as an activist and as an organizer, um, I learned that speaking up for equality and speaking up for justice means speaking for everybody. Right. So, um, you know, just wanting to, well, I'll say, honestly, a lot of the ladies were like, why we can't come? Why we can't come? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) And so, um, and the brothers were like, where the ladies at? (laughs) But just really recognizing um, the, you know, and a lot like yourself, I didn't know any trans women prior to um, being a part of the community. I knew Carmarian, but we were like kids. Well, she was like 18. I was probably about a couple years older than her. But we were both coming into ourselves then, so I didn't know her in her full-blown womanhood um, at a young age. Um, so, you know, at, by the time I came into my transition, I didn't know any trans women at all. Um, and I, too, was just ignorant about, you know, you know what a trans woman was, what, how do they act, what do they look like, you know, like the rest of the world. Let me tell you a funny story. <laughs> so in 2010, I went to um, a conference. They flew me out. They saw me on YouTube or whatever. Flew me out to the um, the, um, the Social Justice Center in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. They flew me out to this summit, this faith summit they did in L.A., and so I'm sitting in, you know, the best, some of the best conversations that you have at any kind of conference is in, um, is like the normal conversation that you have sitting around mm-hmm. talking to people. Right. So I'm sitting there and it's me. Um, I can't even remember the other two people because I met Lewis in this moment. Okay. And so Lewis is sitting right there. It's another guy and another girl. And, um, we're t- they're talking. We kind of just having this great conversation. And so the guy next to me asked me, I don't know none of these people. Mm-hmm. The guy next to me asked me, so, you know, who do you date? And I'm like, oh, you know, I like I like guys and da-da-da-da-da-da. And somebody says, um, do you date trans men? And I was like, no, I date real men. Right. <laughs> and Lewis says, now, mind you, in that moment, I just think these are cis men. Right. So, cis gay men. Mm-hmm. So, when Lewis, Lewis says, hmm, that's interesting language. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> just ignorant as fuck. <laughs> Baby, from this moment, from the, for, for the next ten minutes, Lewis had read me. Not in that, you know, he's not negative, educated. negative, but educated me. <laughs> and he was like, "How can you expect somebody to validate your womanhood, but you sitting here talk, talking about exactly. we not real men?" <laughs> and it just was a moment that blew first blowing my mind because I just thought he was just older mm-hmm. gay man. I didn't think he was trans at all. I'm like. 
First of all, it was like, boom, just the fact that you right. sit here telling me you're a trans man blew my mind. Because I, like, before 2010, I never mm-hmm. engaged with one. And so he just blew my mind, just poof, that. And then challenging mm-hmm. the validation of who he was in my mind. And I'm like, that does make sense. And I'm mm-hmm. ne- I've am I'm never been one of those people who, um, once I'm challenged, I'm going to fight it. Right. I'm like, you know what? Right. Let me chew on that a little bit. Let me mm-hmm. take my young ass home and chew on that a little bit. And I and I came into the experience in meeting trans men. In a, in a, he totally changed my life, changed my mindset in 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 that regards. And so it just was. It was mad new. It was mad different. My my just totally blew my mind in regards to that. So yes, I totally, <laughs> I totally, I totally get how. Create, for me, creating this space, creating these spaces within community totally changed who I was because mm-hmm. I never had, I, I was so, totally intri- right. I- I- ignorant. Right. Yeah, yeah. same here. Um, and so just um, once learning, mm-hmm. being educated um, about our counterparts and what some of the issues were, we felt like, you know, if, what – is the right thing to do, right? If, mm-hmm. if we're doing the work, then why not um, include the sisters as well? Um, and my good, well, uh, Carmarian, who I knew from a young age, um, she, we we had reunited as friends then, and uh, you know, she she agreed that uh, black trans women should be a counterpart of uh, BTMI, and mm-hmm. that's when we incorporated black trans women, I believe, in 2013. 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah. yeah. And then the pageant was 2013. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, and I remember, um, I don't think a Mary hit me up. I think Espy hit me up. Mm-hmm. I think um, she sent me a message, and I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and at that time, I didn't have, I wasn't thinking about myself, thinking of myself as an activist. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you know... Some, I guess somebody had told her about me, and you know how Espy is. And she was like, you know, I think you would be amazing. Come and be a part of it, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll come check it out. And because it just, we met you at uh, Dallas Pride. Yes. That's when I first met you at Dallas Pride. Yes, I was yeah. with Valerie, Valerie Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. And I had when I came to Dallas Pride. Um, so I'll say y'all were probably like the – Next, besides Carmerian, y'all were probably mm-hmm. the first trans women I saw, and I was oh. like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was new to Texas, not necessarily new. I was I had been here like three years. Okay, and and just new to activism. I just was new to everything in my mind. I was just really new to everything and experiencing. Um, you know, just the activist space and just seeing mm-hmm. who was talking and blah blah blah. So when she hit me up, I was like, okay, I don't really take, I don't really think of myself as an activist, but I'll come and talk if you want me to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it just, it just, just changed my perspective about the potential of what I could do. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I, I knew that my journey didn't look like a conference, but what right. it, what it, what it told me was that if I centered, um us all and build community around what I want and my favorite um, tools were like YouTube and media and right, da da da. Right. That's what it what it looked like for me. Mm-hmm. And so opening up that space and opening up um, what I do to trans men and trans women and non-binary and being that kind of constant voice of sharing 
the people that I'm meeting, sharing mm-hmm. the people that I'm experiencing this new frontier with, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what BTEC ex- enriched in me. Just the idea that this is somebody's vision mm-hmm. that's working. And although I don't want to do this at all, this is, you know, in my mind, I'm like, Mm-mm. I was like, this is, this is, I have to deal with all these people, blah, 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 especially back then. <laughs> this <laughs> isn't, this is, you know, that's not my vision. But, you know, just knowing that, okay, I got other motherfuckers out here that's really working, mm-hmm. that's really, um, that has the same mentality about what we can do right. and bring to the culture. Right. I think of trans men as, as um, a perfect... Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, we Y'all have a y'all are in a perfect position to change the culture around masculinity. Mm-hmm. Around masculinity, about manhood, mm-hmm. about how we navigate patriarchy, how we um dismantle it, not navigate it, dismantle it. Mm-hmm. How we do how y'all just just have so much potential in 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 that. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself in that position? I believe that black trans men are the evolution mm-hmm. of a black man. And I say that because, um, again, having lived stealth or non-disclosure, having lived in a non-trans world among men and then living in a trans world among men is very, very different. I have a whole new, or I was given a whole new outlook of masculinity through trans men to get to know um, so many trans men around the world and just seeing that, first of all, that group that we started, um, having about 500 men in there, and just seeing that these men were of all ages, everything from 19 to 60 something, they were all over the world. Um, You know, they were different uh, uh, identities along the, the, African diaspora, you know, we had guys in Jamaica, we got guys in Nigeria, we got biracial men, um, you know, different complexions, different black experiences, different levels of masculinity, different levels of femininity, different uh, sexual orientations, just so many differences, but we're all in the same space. And we're all wanting the best for each other. We're all respecting each other. And that was nothing that I seen in any environment of all black men that I'd ever seen before. I'd never been in a room where there was, you know, a, a large amount of gay men and a large amount of straight men and everybody showing respect for one another. Right. I'd never been in, you know, among black men that um that looked forward to claiming and I mean I, there are men that are like this, but I'm saying with trans men I saw a whole another level of wanting to be um, family men, whether that be by, you know, carrying their own child or caring for someone else's child, mm-hmm. just to take that responsibility and feel so much pride about being a daddy or being a parent in that way. Guys that I was, you know, that I'd known had either just accepted the responsibility or ran from it. And I'm not saying that's all black men, but that's a lot of black men, and that's why the state of black America is how it is now. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> 
I really just see that black trans men have the ability and the opportunity to have the conversations about masculinity and not only conversations, but to show different levels of masculinity um, as being acceptable, um, which will, you know, and if, if, if there's a young black man who sees um, a feminine black man not being treated badly and he feels okay and confident in himself from a young age, then that could definitely change a lot of the homophobia among our black men. Absolutely. So if we got trans men who are raising young black men and, and this is their mentality and this is their teachings, I feel that we can totally change the face of black America and black communities mm -hmm. in a whole lot of ways. We can teach tolerance, we can teach acceptance, we can teach love. And again, not just by um, saying it, but by walking in it confidently. Right. You know, and it, and, and, and you know, a lot of um, men are, or I'll say gay men are bold, but I think it takes a lot for a gay trans man to be openly so. Yeah. You know, just different, just differently because of, you know, the whole attachment to what our genitalia is and, oh, that means you must really be like this or that or et cetera. But, I mean, that's a layer of, of understanding of self that I don't know. Right. You know, and then to walk in it confidently that's a real man to me yeah you know what i mean and so it's just things like that that i you know without knowing other trans people i assumed all trans men were like me mm -hmm. you know heterosexual alpha etc etc but just being exposed to different um trans men or different characteristics of identity has given me so much education mm -hmm. and it's given me so much appreciation um, for trans men in the community that I'm in and that I'm a part of, and even more so that I have the uh, the opportunity and honor of being a, a great influence of, and so I feel a strong responsibility um, to be a positive influence in a lot of ways. And I don't mean just influence guys to be like me. That's not what I want at all. But my greatest uh, word of encouragement is to be you regardless of whatever that is right stand in your truth how you see it right right and you know i never met a man <clears throat> there was a saying that said i never met a man who had to tell me he was one and so for a lot of trans men i think that message is really important because a lot of us previously lived as uh, dominant females and you feel like you do have to be hyper masculine or assert your masculinity by doing these things you know the extra you know put an extra oomph and macho about yourself right and then as a as a uh, trans man a lot of times those things transfer over or just like any other young black male trying to learn their way into masculinity these are the things that i have to do i have to talk like the rappers i have to disrespect women i have to you know do all these things that i see on tv that makes the black man a, a man mimicking that toxic masculinity exactly exactly and so um for trans men is is really important to me that that message does not trickle into our community because um there's so much um damage to a lot of people a lot of irreparable damage and it seems um the more that for some people, it seems that the more they're able to adopt a whole nother character or what they feel as a persona, that that is the escape from um, some of the trauma that we're all dealing with. And I feel that um, 
you know, they need a place where that too can be nurtured and accepted and affirmed as this is a part of you and it's okay. And I still love you as you are, whatever that is. Right. Because in society, we're so beat up by, you, you know, you shouldn't act this way. You shouldn't be this way until we finally get to where we transition and feel like, okay, where well, I'm where I want to be. But then society is still telling you, well, if you're going to be that, then you need to be this way and you need to be that way. You know, at some point, you know, we need a place where we can be ourselves. And I don't just mean a physical place, but mentally and spiritually, we have to find that place. And right. that's not going to look like what society says masculinity is or femininity oh. is. And that's the beauty of being a trans person, because you're not living in those lines. You're living in the full breast of who you are as a person, as a spiritual being, you know, and, and just your human experience is very unique. But, you know, it is, is it a human experience nonetheless? Yeah, and you're, you're leading by, you're being an example. You don't know how many cis people have said, I, I remember this guy from my high school came into my inbox, this is like 20 years later, and he came into my inbox and said, you know what, I always wanted to tell you this, that you being who you are, I'm not gay, I'm a heterosexual man, but you going to school dealing what you dealing with what you had to deal with every single day really set a seed of manhood in me mm. and i wouldn't even be nobody's mm -hmm. man i transitioned at 13. Right. but he said you being the example of somebody that didn't give a fuck are you going to be you no matter what when i went into this world as a man i had somebody despite your femininity that said, this is who I am, right. and I can be that as a man and stand in my truth right. and say what I feel. If I don't want to call gay men fags and sissy as they walk down the street, I can say, no, I don't want to do that. Right. I'm not playing a game. Right. Let them Leave them people alone. Mm -hmm. I was able to learn how to stand in my manhood and my own truth and my own who I was, mm -hmm. and it just really floored me because mm -hmm. he's such a butch masculine guy, and I didn't think of, of course, I'm thinking about how other trans folks and other um, LGBT folks saw me as a leader and a beacon of light, right. but I didn't think of it as a cis person until he said it, that you have been a light to a lot of people mm -hmm. that they didn't get a chance to tell you, right. that, that you wouldn't even think. Older people, younger people, whoever. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think we all need that space and I think we are all those kind of examples. Mm -hmm. Tell me this, um, you just talked about we all need a space and we're almost done. Um, we all need in a space to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. You have an amazing wife. Yes, yes. You yes. have an amazing wife, Esperanza Brown, and she has such a beautiful spirit. Um, and in a world that kind of, that's not set up for trans people to necessarily find healthy love and love that is affirming, love that is... Um, you know, that healing space. Mm -hmm. How did you come up be such the lucky man to come across that? <laughs> the envy of all. Right. <laughs> Esri is absolutely, absolutely an amazing spirit. Um, and I, I am. I'm so lucky and I'm so blessed. And she definitely is the person that um, replenishes me um, and inspires me motivates me she she's uh everything she really is uh, my best friend um 
when we met, we weren't so magical together. Mm-hmm. It was. It sounds cliche, but I knew it was love at first sight. <laughs> okay. But as you know, she does have a very strong personality. Uh-huh. And as I stated, I was very hyper-masculine back then. <laughs> so you had met your back. Man, hold up. <laughs> As we said, Texas, hold up. <laughs> but yeah, so we had a whole lot of friction. It was it was all fire in the beginning because we're so both such passionate people, um, but we're very kindred um, and spiritually guided. And I don't mean as in a religious influence, but just um, what the soul says. And because of that, I think we both had a um, unstated commitment towards one another and just seeing the greatness and potential of one another. I'll say that at the time we met, um, we weren't on this track. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just sort of doing our thing, right. like young people do. Um, but we saw greatness in one another. Um, and, and I told her, I had to chase her for a few months, but I remember the first time she gave me a date, um, I told her that I prayed for her. And that was so true. And that's another reason that I felt that she was the one because it wasn't just, you know, that girl's real fine and, you know, she's lingering on my mind. I'm thinking about her. But I felt that um, there was a soul connection that I could see, um, you know, the uh, healing that she needed and that it would kind of go together for us, that she was the answer to what I needed and that I could give her what she needs. This might mm. be kind of deep. I don't know if this, no, this makes total sense. Okay. This <laughs> makes total sense. But um, so I, I'll say that that's what made us strong and guide us through uh, the challenges in the beginning is again- What just, were some of the challenges? Um, again, just difference of opinion and everybody- Did you have to disclose to her? Um, I did, well, yeah. I'll say she thought I was a gay man first. Okay. <laughs> because I met her at like a a, a, a gay event okay. that was going on. Um, so she was wondering like, he don't look gay. You know, what's he doing here? <laughs> um, and so I did uh, explain to her uh, what was going on. Okay. You know. She's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and she wasn't even, you know, in the LGBT type of thing. She actually was just coming out to an event with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and she was like, what is he doing here? And I'm like, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, but yeah, so some of our challenges in the beginning was just, uh, communication. Communication is so key. You know, when people ask us, you know, what gives us longevity? I, the top two things are communication and honestly, good, a good sex life right. gives us longevity. Um, but you know, just being challenged with, um, who was going to take the lead. She was used to being, you know, that type of female in a relationship. Um, but as far as my transition, I was very new in it. And again, I didn't know that I was trans. I just knew that I was very masculine and I wanted to dive deeper into that. And so I had, um, I was at the beginning phase of researching and, um, you know, trying to find information. Right. I, I saw uh, Monica's, blog post back then. I was like, oh, there's mm-hmm. a trans person out there writing about everything trans. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I, I uh, was just at the beginning phase of, you know, introducing my pronouns and understanding that and reiterating that to people. Um, so it was seamless for us in that way and that she came on board with um, masculinity and that I'm transitioning 
um, gotcha. to fully present as male. And uh, she had a lot of questions, you know, mm-hmm. again, just LGBT period was a, a an untapped um, community for her. So she did have a lot of questions, a lot of things we kind of figured out together along the way. Right. Um, but yeah, she, she's definitely been a, a really, really great supporter. Um, and I'll say not even just for me personally, but you know, in our journey together, she's grown as a person to be the person that she is. And again, just the more that she's able to accept me and affirm me and give me the freedom that I'm looking for, I reciprocate that for her. Mm-hmm. You know, Espy's been liberated, you know, to be the great woman that she is. She's always been that, but like all of us, you know, she's had situations and trauma and things mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of make you lose yourself mm-hmm. um, but our ability to be able to see self see each other and nurture um, you know the little person inside of us and nurture the damage and you know encourage the big person and right. things like that um, is really what gives us um, such a tight bond and in a lot of ways our past are the same and so we feel like you know not only are we sort of um, it, it's a uh, healing relationship for both of us, but it's also we've created family with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel responsible for one another as a family does. Right. You know, to raise one another, to care for one another, to check in on one another. It's not just intentionally. E- exactly. Right. Intentionally. So it's not just, you know, a marriage. We found somebody I got along with and, you know, we made it work. It's not that at all. It's, it's just, you know, SB and I. You know, I, I could go on forever about SB, obviously, but it really, it we really are soulmates, and so that's why it works for us. Yeah, I see. Just in, I don't know, y'all, interpersonal romantic life, but just seeing you two as leaders, and just I think one of the things that make me comfortable um, when people, I'm a, I'm an alpha person too, mm-hmm. so but I'm an alpha person that doesn't mind coming into a space where there's another leader mm-hmm. and not being the leader. Mm-hmm. And so seeing how you all maneuver in the space was was really refreshing because I see how I think what makes a great leader is a person who knows their strengths and knows their weaknesses. And when they come in 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 the face of something, one of their weaknesses, how they respond to mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. really really important. And so when I when I as I navigate space with y'all and see how y'all navigate those kind of difficult moments. That's what makes me trust y'all in regards to your leadership mm-hmm. and believe in what y'all vision is because y'all have, you know, y'all have shown that y'all can grow. Y'all have shown that y'all have dedicated to each other and dedicated mm-hmm. to this vision that y'all have mm-hmm. and incorporating other people. And I think for me, y'all are just like, you know, I know some other folks are have been have branded themselves as the as the Michelle <laughs> and Veronica. But to me you know, but to me, y'all are um y'all like the trans Michelle and Barack. Y'all really are just out here doing the work and I just think that's I just think that's amazing. Wow. That's, that's that's a pretty phenomenal Comparison. I appreciate yeah. that. Y'all doing your thing. So my last question is, um, and I ask this to everybody, who are some of the people that have been your heroes that are dead and that are, um, start with the dead ones and then we're going to come with the ones who are alive. Whoever inspired your life. Oh, wow. Um, 
first my mom mm-hmm. uh hands down she's my number one um but secondly i say my grandmother mm-hmm. um and then if we'll go into historical figures it would definitely be um you know stokely carmichael mm-hmm. uh malcolm x mlk even marcus garvey <coughs> um black leaders anybody that was fighting for justice and liberation and you know the the uh upbringing of of black people is definitely been an inspiration of mine um and what about people living people living uh espy hands down mm-hmm. <laughs> espy's my number one jayla's my number two um jayla's y'all baby yeah <laughs> yeah jayla's my daughter she's 11. um and I would just say really just uh, the people of BTEC. I mean, that really is what keeps me going. Like, that is my vision to see my community um, free and happy and, um, you know, living in, in, in abundance and acceptance. And, um, you know, so really that is like my motivation. That's my inspiration that that is me. I am BTEC. You know, mm-hmm. I am my community, and so um, that that's what um, inspires me, encourages mm-hmm. me, motivates me, um, grows me, um, chastises me. <laughs> you know, it, it really is my everything. So um, I'd have to say that's just one big compilation mm-hmm. of people, actually. Yeah. What do you think? The what is what are your what is your vision for the future? What are some of the things like in the next five years and then maybe the next 10 years that you would want to see grow from BTAC? Um, what I would like to see grow from BTAC is that uh, I would like to see BTAC produce more trans leaders of um, current and, and the upcoming generations. Um, I would like to see BTAC just have more influence on community at large and how we um, care for one another. I would like to see um, our elders have more attention besides just, you know, a post when they get sick or, um, you know, an article highlighting what they did in the old days. I want to know that they're being checked on every day, that they're not worried about, you know, senior homes. They don't have to set up a GoFundMe when they're you know, on, on their bed because they only have a few friends from, you know, right. that came in the game with, you know what I mean? Um, if we steady have people coming through the community, then we we have to look out for each other. So that's right. what I want BTAC to be. I want it to really have an influence on how we care for one another as a community. I want to see BTAC make real change in our, in our uh, social structure, in our laws. I want to see BTAC get behind the Equality Act. I honestly believe in the Equality Act and that, um, again, it, it, it's going to bring um, uh, more more uh, opportunity and, and protections for all of us in everything. You know, I know we sort of look at the direct, uh, a lot of times we look at the direct disparities that we don't have or that we're dealing with, and I see the Equality Act as an umbrella um uh, resolution, not so much a resolution that we won't have problems anymore, but it could definitely fix a lot of problems. I mean, mm. down to the minimal of when we talk about people being stealth or not by choice, 
you shouldn't have to choose. Right. So I wouldn't choose to be stealth if I didn't feel that I'm going <clears> to <throat> get in an unsafe situation and not be protected. I wouldn't choose to be stealth if I felt like this job would accept me as I am. Right. I wouldn't choose to, you know, these these other things. So I really feel like, um, and of course, you know, I know the law is the law, and, and, you know, that's on the books, and we're still dealing with people who have to actually um, implement the law. But it's a great start because the Civil Rights Act, you know, it's obviously an amendment to the Civil Rights Act, but, you know, I'm sure when the Civil Rights Act was passed, they did all this work to get the Civil Rights Act passed for justice for black people. I'm sure everything didn't go into play right away. Immediately, right. Right, and we're still fighting for those civil rights in a lot of ways, but there was progress made by law. And so I feel like with the Equality Act being an amendment, that just includes our transness as well as our blackness. Right, absolutely. Um, so I want to see BTAC make a real impact on the laws that protect us and provide equality for us. I want to see BTAC influence um, how we care for one another as a community. I want to see BTAC continue to save lives because people have found community and they found um, a place where they are being affirmed and things like that. And um, you know, as I stated, I want to see BTAC build more leaders. Um, we need more. A lot of times, and I'm sure both of you can relate to this, a lot of times it feels like there's only a handful of advocates. There's, Especially as a black trans man, there's so many spaces. I'm the only black trans man. Mm-hmm. I would love to have more brothers there. Trust me. It is a challenge. But if I'm not there, then who's there? Right. You know, and so I, I, I need it to be at least two more of the black trans men when I'm you know, at this high-dollar t- high uh, black tie dinner telling them what the disparities of my community are and how they can help. Right. I need a voice to work that side of the room while I'm working this side right. of the room. I need somebody sitting out there in the lobby. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, if I'm there, yeah, there's visibility, but we need to make an impact. So we need more leaders in place. Uh, we need more people to not feel like, you know, I'm just going to let them do the work because it's affecting all of us. Right. You know, and if if, if 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 trans women aren't protected, then we aren't protected. Right. You may feel safe, but you know, if if the law is not gonna protect you, then you're unprotected. Absolutely. If and the we... judicial system doesn't have you in mind or consider you an equal citizen, then you are not. And so it's so important that we all have a hand in. I'm not saying that everybody's gonna uh, carry a flag and do a march, but everybody needs to be doing something. Even if that's just a matter of voting yeah. for what's going to protect us. If that's a matter of, you know, helping somebody. Get a job. Exactly. <laughs> right. So um, I just want to see more leadership. I want to see BTEC also have more influence on leadership and um, just really encouraging people to uh, step up because we need all hands on deck. Right. Definitely. Well, I want to thank you for being a part of this. I really have been waiting for you to come and join the show. See, now you made me wait too long. I'm to talk your ear off. You want to cut me off now. It's okay. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to share? i just come back. How about that? Yes. <laughs> I have been trying to get an all-trans man show. Okay. So it's been hard doing it because, you know, the trans men in Houston don't fuck shit. <laughs> but, but it's hard it's hard to get them to come and talk yeah. about their experience but you know I, that's one of my dreams to have an all trans man show to where y'all just kind of discuss y'all shit so yeah thank you all for right, coming alright well you might have to get an all trans man host <laughs> yeah I, well, I know one. you have uh, 
Uh, Zahir. Yeah. Yeah. Zahir. Okay. Yeah, he's here. He, and he trying to, so I need one more. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Z and me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank y'all for listening, y'all. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Every little thing's going to be all right.